1: Alright, good evening everybody. You want to go ahead and find your places, we will, uh, we will go ahead and get started here in just a minute. I want to welcome everybody once again to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, if you're visiting with us, um, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight we come to Matthew uh, chapter 5. We'll be looking at two verses, verses 31 to 32. And as you can see, the topic is divorce. Divorce. All right. As always, we're going to go back and we're going to start with uh, Matthew 5.20. Uh, This is where Jesus makes this statement. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never... Enter the kingdom of heaven. So we've known, we've covered this several times now, the Pharisees have a righteousness uh, that's deficient. There's something wrong with it. And what's wrong with it is it's all on the outside. Uh, it looks good to everybody else. All the, they, they're, they're law keepers, they're moral men, uh, but as Jesus said about them, on the outside you're like whitewashed tombs, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. You, you Their righteousness was not an inside righteousness. And, and Jesus said that type of righteousness uh, will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is doing in the rest of chapter 5 is he's illustrating a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And to do that, he gives us six topics or six examples or six illustrations. Um, murder, adultery, divorce, uh, swearing of an oath vengeance and love, and tonight we come to the third topic, and that is the topic of divorce. Now, let me just give this disclaimer before I start. Um, Many years ago, I started teaching through the Bible, verse by verse, okay? And here's the thing that happens when you go verse by verse, is you cannot skip anything, you just can't skip anything. When you're teaching topical, you can just pick your topics and do whatever you want to do and, and teach on the things you want and skip the things you don't want. But when you go verse by verse, you cannot skip verses. And, uh, and I made a promise to God a long time ago that if He would give me clarity on Bible verses, if He would give me clarity on truth and what passages mean, that I would always stand before people and, and tell them the truth that I would never shy away because it made them uncomfortable. I would never shy away because it could possibly offend somebody. Uh, I made a promise that I would never do that. Whatever it means, it means. And that's, that's, that's what we do. Now, to be honest, that should not only be true for me as a teacher, that should really be true for everybody. You should never shy away from scripture because it makes you a little uncomfortable or, or maybe it offends you in some way. In fact, I often go back to this passage, which is 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete. Now what that tells me is in order for you to complete, be complete, to be mature, you need all Scripture, which tells me that if you skip certain Scriptures or you uh, ignore certain Scriptures, that the very best you'll ever be is an incomplete Christian. You'll be unbalanced, if you will, or you'll live an unbalanced Christian life, and and, and none of us want to do that. So the Bible gives us clear teaching. Um, It's our responsibility to face it honestly. Okay, That's our responsibility. So we're going to do that uh, tonight. So let's begin. It's only two verses. Let's begin with the first one. Jesus said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, we know something's wrong with that statement, right? We, we've done this several weeks now. Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I say to you, even if you're angry in your heart. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart. So we know that statement, there's something wrong with it. Their, their interpretation of the laws concerning divorce were wrong. So we know that. Now what we got to do is see what, what, what is it about that that is wrong. Now the easiest way to do this is to go all the way back and actually go back to the Old Testament and go back to the Law of Moses and and go there and say, okay, what did it say about divorce? And that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to come up to the Pharisees and see how the Pharisees misinterpreted what Moses said. And then we'll see how Jesus corrects them and gives them the right interpretation. So we'll start by going all the way back to the law of Moses. Now, there are several scriptures in the Old Testament. There's, there's, I think there's one in Numbers. There's a couple in Leviticus. Um, but the most illustrative scripture uh, in the Old Testament dealing with divorce is uh, this one, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. So this is the Old Testament law. This is the Mosaic law dealing with divorce. So I'm going to read it. It says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, ...if she then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and he puts it in her hand... ...and he sends her out of his house and she departs out of the house... ...and she goes and becomes another man's wife. And then that latter man hates her and he writes her a certificate of divorce... ...and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. And if the latter man or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife... Then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. Okay, so that right there is the old, really the, the most illustrative scripture dealing with divorce. Now, I want to co- point out a couple things about that. You will notice in that scripture there's no mention of adultery. Everybody see that? There's a reason for that. There's no need to mention adultery because the penalty for adultery in the Old Testament was what? It was death. So if a spouse committed adultery, they would be put to death. The marriage would end by death, not by divorce. Everybody with me? So there's no, there's no need to even mention adultery in the Old Testament law because, again, the marriage would end not by divorce. It would end by death. So that's the first one. And by the way, it's going to be a little bit important later in the lesson. So that's the first thing to mention. The second thing I want to point out, and I think this is really important, is the purpose of the Mosaic law. Why is Moses even giving a law that deals with um, divorce? Well, here's the thing, and this is something you need to understand about a lot of the Old Testament law. The, The whole purpose of the laws on divorce was to control divorce to, to, to kind of put uh, some boundaries around a chaotic situation. It, it's meant to hinder divorce, certainly not to promote divorce. You see, in that day, and, and again, we got to go back in time, but in that day, it was a patriarchal society. Uh, men had all the power. Uh, they, they owned everything. There was nothing in, 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 you know, in the name of the wife or the woman. It all belonged to the man. And, and men, most men, I won't say all men, but men for the most part held a very low view of women. In um, and, and fact, in a lot of cases, they were seen as, as property, just like, like a camel or a cow or, or anything else. And because they held all the power and because they were unregenerate, they're hard-hearted men, um, and because of their view of women, they thought, well, you know, if I want to get rid of my wife for any reason, I can do that and they could just put her out of the house, right? Now, one of the examples of that, of all people, is, of course, Abraham. You'll remember in Genesis 16, 3, God has told Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a son, and ten years go by, and nothing happens. And Sarah gets a little anxious, and she goes to Abraham, and she says, why don't you take Hagar, my maid or my servant, and you go into her, you take her, as a wife. And that's exactly what uh, Abram did. And of course, Hagar gets pregnant. She has a son. Uh, Time marches on. You get up to around Genesis 21. Sarah has had her own son, Isaac, and now she's jealous. And she wants Hagar put out of the house. And that's exactly what Abram does. He says, gives her some food and water and puts her on the road. I mean, literally just puts her out of the house. That could be done in that day. There was no certificate of divorce. There was no legal. uh, There was no lawyers. None of that stuff. If a man decided he wanted to divorce his wife, he just just put her out. So understand, before you get to to Moses, a woman like Hagar could be put out for any reason. It literally was the ultimate in no-fault divorce. It was the ultimate in no-fault divorce. So... Moses puts into effect a law and it is put in place to control a situation that was grossly unfair to women. Grossly unfair to women. And it led to a lot of suffering on their part and the part of their children. So ladies, just imagine for one moment, okay? Now, by the way, we've made it a lot fairer now, right? Not only can the man initiate divorce, a woman can initiate divorce, and y'all, everybody splits everything, and there's lawyers, and there's a legal system, and all of that. But we've really gone all the way back to a no-fault divorce, haven't we? You can just divorce somebody for anything anymore. So, but I want you to imagine for a moment, ladies, if you can, that your husband could just put you out of the house tonight. You go home and, and you have an argument. He says, I'm done, you're out. And he just puts you out. You don't get no, with the clothes on your back. And there's no lawyer to go to. There's no police to call. There's no welfare. There's no support system. You're on your own. Can you? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine having to live like that? Well, that's why Moses did what he did. That's why God through Moses, said, let's get a law, let's bring this under control, and let's bring some fairness to this situation. And he does that with three principles, okay? The first principle is this. If you're going to get a divorce, there had to be a justifiable cause. You, you couldn't just put her out because you were angry. There had to be a justifiable cause. We saw that in the first uh, part of verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her. So that he, he had to have a, a reason. So what this does is it kind of takes all the frivolous superficial excuses that men were using. And by the way, they could divorce their wives because she burnt the meal. That's not that's not an indecency, right? So it it, it raised the level. It, you've got to have some type of justifiable cause if you're going to put her out of the house. So not only did they have to show cause, they had to have two witnesses attest to it, okay? So it, again, it, 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 it makes this much more fair. Principle number two, it forced the issuance of a certificate of divorce, Okay. Uh, again, you saw this in the second half of verse 1, and he writes her a certificate of divorce or a bill of divorce, and he puts it in her hand, sends her out of, out of the house. So she had a legal document that, she, that got. Now remember, before, a man could just put a woman out of the house, right? She's done. Now that was very dangerous. First of all, nobody would know why did he put her out. Maybe a rumor gets started that she is unfaithful. Next thing you know, they're dragging her out and stoning her, right? That's one thing. Or, or maybe she goes and, and marries somebody else, and that first husband goes back and wants to drag her back home again. She's got nothing to prove that they were ever divorced. So it's, it's an incredibly dangerous and unjust situation for the, for the woman. So what this certificate of divorce does is it makes it clear that there had been a legal, formal divorce, and it was not about adultery. Because, I mean, again, if it was about adultery, she would have... So, again, she's got a document in her hand that says, yes, we are, we are legally divorced, and it's not over any type of unfaithfulness. So what this certificate does is it protects her, and it protects the woman. And by the way, it was given to her in the presence of two witnesses. So for example, down the road, if she needed to call those witnesses for some reason to attest to that divorce, uh, she could absolutely uh, do that. So the important thing here is divorce is made into something formal. It's made into something legal. It's not something you could just go home that night and because you got mad at her, you could put her out of the house. It, that, you couldn't do that anymore. Now you had to go through a formal process. You had to get witnesses. You had to get the document. So you just couldn't couldn't put them out, for example, in a moment of anger or a moment of passion. Principle number three. Now, this is interesting. It says, a man who divorces his wife is not allowed to marry her again. Let's read that. It says, if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and then that man divorces her, or that man dies, it says this, "...then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife." So basically, once you were divorced, that woman could never return to a man that she had been divorced from, whether it was her first husband or her second husband, whatever the case, she could not return. Now, you may ask, what's the point? What's the point of that? The point of this is to make people see that marriage is not something you can just walk in and out of at will. It's not something you just walk in and out of And will. What it's, what it's telling that husband is this. Look, if you do this, you don't get a second chance. If you're going to go through with this divorce, don't think, well, I can go through this divorce and if I don't like this second woman, I can go back and get hurt. No. No, this is permanent. So what it's doing is it's reinforcing to the people and especially to the husbands that not only the importance of of marriage, but the very seriousness of divorce. Because again, there were times in those days people would be divorced. I saw one example of a Roman woman who was divorced like 20 times. Just in and out, in and out, walking in and out of marriages. And so what they're trying to get the people to see is this is a serious thing. And you need, to take it, uh, you need to take it seriously. So, again, the, the point of the Mosaic law was to try to bring order to a chaotic situation. By the way, you see this in other aspects of the Mosaic law as well. In fact, we'll deal with this in, in a couple more weeks. Uh, for example, we all know the Old Testament law that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? Right. And a lot of people think about that and think, wow, man, in the Old Testament, you could just go out and get your revenge. But it wasn't about revenge at all. It was about bringing order to a chaotic situation. Let me give you an example, Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, there's a guy by the name of Lamech. And Lamech said this, I have killed a man for wounding me. I've killed a young man for striking me. Now, notice what he says. He's, he gets struck. He gets hit by a young man. What's his response? He kills him. In other words, the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime, does it? Well, see, that's what was going on before the Mosaic Law. People were just taking... They, they weren't. The punishment didn't fit the crime. They were killing people for things they shouldn't have been killing them for, and so on and so forth. So what the Mosaic Law says is, no, you can't do that. In fact, Leviticus 24 says this, If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's not about go get your vengeance. It's trying to bring order to an unfair, chaotic situation. So you see that a lot with the Mosaic Law. All right, let's jump forward about 1,400 years between the giving of the Mosaic Law on Mount Sinai and down to the Pharisees. So... What did the Pharisees get wrong? Well, in Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought about divorce, okay? There were two very famous rabbis. One guy was, was uh, by the name of Hillel, and the other guy, I think, was by the name of Shammai. So you had what was called the school of Hillel, and you had the school, a school of Hillel, and the school of Shammai. Anyway, they had two different competing views. You could say a liberal view and a conservative view. And the debate was all about that word right there. They, they looked at the Mosaic Law and they, they said, well, what does that mean? You, you find some indecency in her. What does, that, what does that mean? And one school of thought, which was the Hillel school of thought, basically said, well, it, it, you, it just means anything. It could mean that she burnt your meal. That's indecent. And so basically they said they fell on the side that just said you could divorce your wife for pretty much any reason. By the way, their thought was pretty much the way it is today. You don't really have to have a reason. You're incompatible or whatever, right? So they were very liberal. Uh, Basically to them the word indecency meant any reason. On the other hand, there was another school of thought. And they said, no, that, that word can't mean anything. It's got to be very serious. And in fact, in their mind, they thought it revert, referred to something sexual. Now, it couldn't mean adultery, remember, because adultery would mean death, but it's something serious. Um, so there was, your two, there was your two schools of thought. Anything goes, or it has to be something really, really serious. Now, Jesus gets called into this debate, in Matthew 19 there's a whole another conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees in Matthew 19 and he gets called into this Matthew 19:3 says this and the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause So they're asking him which one of these do you go for Okay Now we're going to come back to that in just a moment because there's a lot that we can learn from that conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees but we'll move on for now So what you and I need to know tonight is the the scribes and the Pharisees of that day had sided with the liberals. They had sided with the school of Hillel. They believed that you could basically divorce your wife for any cause. didn't really matter what it was, okay? The result was that in Jesus' day, what you have once again is terrible injustices being done to women. That once again, women are just being put out um, and for just very frivolous excuses. Now, here's the Pharisees, and it turns out that the really the Pharisees, remember, they saw themselves as righteous. They saw themselves as moral men, but yet they, they believe that they can actually put their wives away for any reason. Now, how did they, how did they kind of balance that in their minds? Well, they believed that only one thing was important there was one thing that if they did, would allow them to see themselves as law keepers. And Jesus nailed it right on the head. He said to them, You've heard it said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. You see, they had once again brought this great law of God down to a legal matter. And in their mind... As long as they gave that woman a certificate of divorce, they were good. didn't matter why they were divorcing her. They could be divorcing her because she burnt the meal. They could be divorcing her because she just got older. didn't matter. As long as they did it legal, as long as they followed what Moses said, which was give her a certificate of divorce, in their mind, they were good to go. Basically, what they had done is legalized adultery. They could find another woman and decide I want a younger woman or whatever and they could give her a certificate of divorce, put her out, marry this other woman and in their mind they were perfectly righteous. They hadn't broken any law. And Jesus nailed it on the head. He said, you think that's all it's about. Okay? Now, let's turn to what Jesus says. Okay? This is his words, Matthew five thirty-two. But I say to you, That everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me just, real quickly, that word sexual immorality is the word pornea, and let me basically define it for you. It's real simple. Any sex outside the marriage between a man and a woman is pornea, it's that simple. Any sexual act outside a marriage between a man and a woman is pornea. That's sexual immorality. And you can, just, you can fill those in, but that's, that's what that word means. Now, I want to go back over to that conversation that Jesus has in Matthew 19 because there's a lot that we can, we can learn from that. Remember, go back to 19.3. I read this earlier. The Pharisees come up to Jesus, and first of all, notice it says they tested him. And what that tells us is they're not interested at all in what he's got to say. They really could care less about learning from him. They're trying to nail him down so that they can use something against him. You know, if he says this, then this group's going to be against him. Or if you say this, that group's going to be against him. That's all they care about. So they come to him, testing him, and they said, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus Listen, I don't know about you, but every time I read his responses, he's just the smartest guy and the best communicator and the wisest person that's ever walked this earth, and it should just blow your mind the things that he says. So instead of getting caught in this trap, watch what he says. He answered, Have you not read, and by the way, he's referring to Genesis 2, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now here's what Jesus did. Jesus goes back in time, back past Moses, back past Abraham, back all the way past Noah, and he goes all the way back to creation week. He goes back to the very first week of creation. And He said, Have you not read what God said during that week? That a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You see, what Jesus is telling us right there is marriage is not a legal contract. Because marriage exists before there's any, even anything legal. And and marriage is not a religious rite or religious sacrament because marriage exists before religion even exists. Marriage is the doing of God. God does this thing. It's called this uniting of a man and a woman where two people become one flesh. And folks, listen to me. You can't dissolve one flesh with a piece of paper. You cannot dissolve a God one flesh union by writing out a piece of paper. Do you see how the Pharisees missed it? It's, it's sitting right there and saying in the first chapter of Genesis that God has created marriage, it's one flesh, and they think, they think that they can dissolve that with a piece of paper and they're okay. They completely missed the meaning of that. Now, they said to him, And by the way, I completely understand this question from them. They said to him, then why did Moses command one? If if that's true, they said, "If, if, if, if marriage is meant for life and there shouldn't be this thing called divorce, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now, their question, there's nothing wrong with their question. Their language is way off. And the reason is is because they act as if Moses commanded people divorce. Moses never commanded anybody to divorce. He didn't do anything like that. And Jesus sets them straight. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 19.8. He said to them, because your hearts were so hard, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. It was never meant to be like that. So what... Jesus is telling us is what we said earlier. It's not God's plan, certainly not God's ideal, but because men were so hard-hearted. It was a concession. It was an allowance. Because can you imagine a society... By the way, I don't have any trouble imagining this. Can you imagine if, 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 if they had said no divorce? No excuse, no way, no how, no divorce. Do you know what those men would have done? Go watch some of your crime channels today and find out what men are doing when they don't want, when they don't want a divorce. You see, it, it, men were going to do what they were going to do. What God is trying to do is create some fairness and, and allowance, bring some order, protect women. Now look at Matthew 19, 9, and then Jesus says exactly here what He said in Matthew 5, 32. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So basically this is what he's saying. If you divorce your wife for anything other than her being unfaithful, then you are committing adultery. So if you divorce her because she burnt your meal or you divorce her because you don't love her anymore or you divorce her because you argue all the time or you divorce her because you're incompatible, if you do that, and she's not been unfaithful to you, you are committing uh, adultery. Now, I want to ask, i got a couple things I'm going to answer here, because that raises a lot of questions. But I want to first answer this. Why, by the way, that's called the exception clause. If you, if you study theology, that's called the exception clause. Everybody knows what that means. It's the one thing, <laughs> it's the one exception to, to divorce. Why does, God, why does Jesus and God allow... Unfaithfulness as an exception. Well, let's go back to the Old Testament. Do you remember in the Old Testament when I said there was no allowance for, for adultery and divorce? You remember that? Because adultery ended in death. So the marriage would be ended by the death of the spouse, not by divorce. But you see, here's the thing when you come to Jesus, He ends the stoning of adulterers, He puts an end to that. You remember the woman taken in adultery? The men bring her before Jesus. They said she was caught in the very act. It says in the law of Moses that she should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus said, this is what I say. Whoever among you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And they walked away, and Jesus looked at her and said, what, go and sin no more. You see, he did away with it. There is no more stoning of adulterers. There's no more death penalty. What you have now is forgiveness and mercy is available. But what he does, though, is, is he now puts, it, the, he puts the, uh, the allowance now into divorce because it wasn't there in the old law. So he says, okay, you're not, that, that, you know, not going to be able to kill that woman anymore. Now we're going to make an allowance for it. And so that's one of the reasons that he did it. So his teaching is very clear. Um, there is one legitimate cause for divorce in God's eyes, and that is sexual immorality. And I think the other thing you've got to understand about this in this case, when, when the way that the Bible talks about a man and a woman, it says they're united as one flesh. And so when one of those partners leaves that and goes over and unites to another, then they have basically done the one thing to break that bond. That's the only thing that can break that one flesh bond or the only exception to that that Jesus gives. Now, by the way, does this sound shocking to anybody? You know, in our culture, where basically 50% of marriages end in divorce. This is really shocking. It's a shocking statement. Um, if I go out there, you know, I mean, I can imagine just going out to a, 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 a you know, just a, a, a normal audience not outside the church and saying well this is what you ought to do they would laugh at me They say, that's crazy you you don't want me to be happy you don't want to be me to be fulfilled and and go find my my soulmate They, they would just look at me like i'm crazy so it literally shocks a lot of us but here's what i want you to understand it's not just us that it shocks it shocks every culture In fact, look at the very next verse after Jesus makes that statement. Matthew 19, 10. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife... In other words, Jesus, if what you're saying is true, that the only reason I can get a divorce is for for, uh, sexual immorality, it's better not to marry. That was his disciples, folks. They literally could not imagine... Oh, you mean i got to spend 60 years with her? And and I can't get out of it? That's how, by the way, that's how low their view of marriage was. That's how low a view it was of marriage. It it shocked them. So don't just think it shocks us because we live in some... No, it shocked... Listen, they loved divorce. They loved it. They loved it in Abraham's day. They loved it in Moses' day. They loved it in the day of Jesus and Pharisees. And they love it. They've always loved it. So somebody's standing up and and teaching that there's a radical righteousness. Don't forget what Jesus is teaching. Remember, there is a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. That's what he's teaching. And by the way, let me say one other thing. This type of teaching was particularly important in the early days of the church. Can you imagine the early days of the church? Remember... You're in, let's say you're in Rome, right? And, and nobody's a Christian. A lot of people married, nobody's a Christian. And then this guy shows up, named Paul, and he starts preaching. And people start getting saved. And so a woman would get saved, and her husband is a pagan. She's going to church and, and meeting in this little home church, and he's going down the road to the temple of Venus or Apollo or Zeus. Or maybe the opposite true is opposite true on the other side of town. The man gets saved, but his, woman, his wife's still a pagan. She's still going to the pagan temples and, and offering pagan sacrifices. So you can imagine how they would think. You know, they're being taught, man, you need to be holy. You need to come out from among them. You, you need to put on the, put off your old ways and put on the new ways of Christ. And they're looking at their husband thinking... Well, I got to get away from this guy. How can I live a holy life attached to him? Or he's looking at her, thinking, "I got to get away from her." So it was almost a lot. There was a lot of questions about it, and these questions, by the way, are answered in 1 Corinthians seven. I'll read a little bit to you. Paul says, "Now concerning the matters about which you wrote." So they wrote him a letter, and they say, "What do we do in situations like this?" So he says, concerning the matters about which you wrote, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Now let me tell you, in a day where people are divorced, pretty much every day, and they'll say, they say they're incompatible. Can you imagine anything more incompatible than a Christian and a non-Christian? Is there anything more incompatible? By the way, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. What fellowship uh, has light with darkness or what partnership has righteousness with sin? There's nothing more incompatible than light and darkness. There's nothing more incompatible than, than righteousness and sin. And yet Paul says even that is not a legitimate excuse for divorce. If that pagan will stay, then you stay. Even it, that incompatibility is not a legitimate grounds for divorce now i 'm going to answer a question so over the years um, i 've I've had to teach on divorce in different uh, times like this, and this is the number one question I get number one question I get emails hey derek and and, and usually it 's a couple who uh, they're they 're married and they, they run across this, and their immediate thought is, am I committing adultery? Am I committing adultery, and what do I do about it? And they get burdened by that. I mean, you can understand that, right? I mean, they're thinking, man, I don't, you know, what do I do? I don't want to be, you know, because they're trying to follow Christ. They're trying to do the right thing, and yet they find them in a situation that that, that really makes them uncomfortable. So these are the ty- this is the question I get. I'm divorced, and I've remarried. Have I committed adultery? You want to know the answer? Or let's put it another way. If a couple gets divorced for any reason other than unfaithfulness... By the way, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 does seem to give another reason for divorce, and that is if the spouse abandons you. So if you're you're sitting there and you're willing to stay married and they just say, I'm out of here, I, I want a divorce, and they leave you, Paul says in that case, you're free. You're not not bound anymore, okay? So Paul does give us a second reason. But if you get a divorce, a couple gets divorced, for any reason other than those two things, and they remarry, have they committed adultery? You want to answer it? Yes. Absolutely they have. There's no other answer. By the way, it's exactly what he said. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Those are his words, not mine. So yes, the answer is you have. Now, that always brings us to the second question. Now what? Now what? Should I divorce this person I'm married now? I want to follow Jesus. I want to do the right thing. Should I divorce the person I'm married to now? And here's my answer to that no, absolutely not. You see, whatever the nature of a second marriage, it is a marriage and it never justifies divorce. Now, why do I say that? Because I think we, I believe that from Jesus' very own words. I think even a divorce and remarriage. I think Jesus still sees that as a marriage. Let me give you a couple scriptures. The first one is the woman at the well. You all know the story. Jesus is in Samaria. He's at the well. A woman comes up to get water. And uh, he says to her, Woman, go call your husband. And the woman answered him, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. Now, this is very important. By the way, I was reading that last night. Could you imagine her? This, is, this could look very well be a woman who was put out five times. This could very well be a woman who the first husband put her out. Here's your certificate of divorce. She marries another. He gets tired of her. He puts her out. Five times she's been put out by a man. And the man she's with now, she's just living with him. She just gave up, I guess. There's no marriage. But notice what Jesus says about the first five. What does he call them? Husbands. And he says, the one you're now with is what? He ain't your husband. You see, Jesus recognizes each each of those remarriages as a marriage. And by the way, it also tells us shacking up ain't no marriage. That's what it says. The one you're with now, that's not a marriage. Shacking up ain't no marriage. Living with somebody ain't no marriage. It's not a marriage. That's that's the words of Jesus. So he recognizes her five marriages as legitimate marriages, and he recognizes the situation she's in right now is not a marriage. How about another one? Matthew 19, 9, we just read it. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and does what? Marries. He sees that as a marriage, okay? That means, by the way, if you understand what marriage is in the Bible, that means that God sees it as a covenant relationship between two people. Again, not just two people living together. And marriages are sacred before God, no matter how they come into play. Sometimes just two sinners. Some of y'all out here, when you were just flat-out sinners, didn't know nothing about Jesus, you got married. You didn't understand marriage. You didn't know anything about it. But now you do. Now you do. Now it's different. It doesn't matter how marriages start, but it's what what you, when you realize what they are, it's a covenant relationship. So here's what I think. If a person were to, let's say a person gets divorced and they remarry, ...to their second spouse. If they were divorced that second spouse... ...they would be doing the very thing Jesus just told them don't do. Are you with me? In other words, two wrongs don't make a right. You don't absolve one sin by committing another sin. That's not the way it, it works. A marriage is a marriage. No matter the circumstances, once that couple is married... ...they are united as one flesh by God... And at that point, they should devote themselves to honoring God in that marriage. At that point, they should devote themselves to honoring God, understanding that marriage is an illustration of Christ in the church. You see, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 5 about marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And he says, This mystery is profound. And I'm telling you, it refers to Christ and the church. You see, our, in our marriages as husband and wife, our covenant faithfulness to one another is an illustration to the world of the faithfulness between Christ and the church. Jesus says, I'll, by the way, husbands, you represent Christ in that marriage. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And we should say the exact same things to our wife. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm here to the end. I'm here till death do us part. When we do that, we're, we're, we're representing for the world what Christ is to the church. See, this is why it's a big deal. This is why it's a big deal. So if you've gone through a divorce, I'm not judging anybody. I certainly don't. I hope you don't take it that way. But I'm telling you, if you've remarried, Take the marriage where you are today and glorify God in it. Glorify God where you are today. If you made mistakes in that first marriage, try not to make the same ones now. See marriage for what it really is. Not something you just walk in and out some, but it's a covenant relationship that illustrates the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, by the way... There's a lot of other situations, and I often get asked about other situations. I can pretty much tell you that all the answers you'll find right there. All the answers you'll find right there. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of them you won't like. Some of them you won't like. And if you've got certain situations and you want to ask me about them, I'll be happy to point you to 1 Corinthians 7 and, and, and answer some of those questions for you. But, um, but again, the answers we need, well, what about this situation? Or What about that situation? Uh, Paul pretty much covers every one of them in 1 Corinthians 7. So I would encourage you to go and read those and face them uh, honestly. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And God, we know that for many of us, this hits home. Uh, uh, And so, again, I I pray, God, that there will be no uh, offense taken. I pray, God, that we'll just face this honestly at where we are in our life. I pray for our marriages in this church. I pray for strong, strong, God-founded marriages in this church. I pray for that our marriages in this church will will be an example, an illustration to Walker County of what the, the, the relationship between Christ and the church looks for. God, help us. Every single one of us needs your help. As men, we need your help. As women, we need your help. We need your help to be the spouse, to be the husband, to be the wife that we need to uh, be. We cannot do it without you, Holy Spirit. We can't do it. If, if without you, we're, we're, we're back in the Mosaic law. We're, we're hard-hearted people, and, and it's just going to be chaos. But with you, that changes everything. Absolutely changes everything. Be that to us. Be the power. Be the strength. Be the change that we need in our marriages so our marriages will glorify you. Father, we love you. We thank you. We give you praise. We pray for this coming Sunday. God, if there's anybody that walks in this Sunday that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, do a miracle. Do a miracle. Do what you do, God. Open eyes, open ears, open hearts, and let them see you for who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Y'all are dismissed.
0: Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at ROLCrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at ROLCrawfordville.com for more information and direction